Hello and welcome to the Govern This podcast. This is a political podcast for non-political people where we ask the simple and ignorant questions about our country and government and get them answered. In this episode, I get to sit down and talk with Jordan Templeman, a 21-year-old political science student who is currently running for MLA as an independent in the Saanich North and the Islands Riding here on Vancouver Island. Not dumb questions. They're just, just ignorant about it. I haven't learned anything yet. So, why not an independent? Why not some young blood and some new ideas? In fact, maybe it would be a good idea to mix things up. Jordan and I cover a few of the same issues as I did with my last couple guests, Dr. Chris and Andrew Reeve, but from yet again another perspective that of an independent. We talked about the party donations thing and his view. If it's wrong, it's wrong. We talked about Sightsee Dam, how he's more concerned with the economic side than the environmental side. And we talked about jobs and how we can't only focus on creating jobs and new energy, but we need to also be concerned with the jobs that could be lost if an industry begins to slow down thus creating a skills gap for those workers trying to find new employment. A new topic that we covered, though, was youth and young adults. Uh, We talked about changing the voting age to 16. And also we talked about how to get them more interested and engaged in their province and politics. As Jordan put it, how do we get them interested before they're negatively impacted at all? We also talked about electoral reform and the need for a different voting system, and the option of a governing party forcing change in this area. He stood his ground here and believing that a referendum is really the only proper way to address something like this in a true democracy, even if the people don't fully understand the issue. He said, an ignorant democracy is better than a well-informed dictatorship. So, With that little taste to whet your appetite, I hope you listen to this full interview and enjoy the chat with Jordan Templeman. Okay, today on the Govern This Podcast, I'd like to welcome Jordan Templeman. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Um, So you are a independent candidate for the MLA up in North Saanich and the Islands riding? Saanich North and the Islands, but yeah. Saanich North, okay. Um, and you are 21. Yes. So what brought this on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's definitely one of the big questions I get. Like, why did I bother even running at, well, a such a young age, what got me interested and what then pushed me to run in the provincial election. And, uh, well, my interest in politics started a few years back in the 2015 federal election. I was studying economics at Camosun at the time. And I realized that I was actually spending more time just reading the news and paying attention to the federal election than I was to any economic studies that I had. (laughs) So I realized in the next semester, maybe I should change my focus and uh, focus on political science. So that's what I did there. And that's what got me into the political science realm. And uh, from then on, I, my interest, of course, continued in my studies and uh, other places as well, such as uh, attending Sydney council meetings and 
I've been going to those for a few right. months now. And um, But what pushed me to run in the provincial election was a few months back, I was, honestly, I was just thinking about like, uh, a lot of the times you, you get tired of just waiting to get involved a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. I, I talk to a lot of people, whether that's in class or just in daily life that they, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to start my life. You know, I'm waiting to get involved and do this or do that. And, um, well, I, I saw no reason to wait. And I, I was thinking, well, I mean, it's too late to really be part of a party. And I don't actually know which one I agree with because currently I don't agree right. with any one of them. So I was thinking like, well, then how do I get involved? And the provincial election's coming up in a few months. So uh, I looked into running as an independent. And uh, when, when I looked into it, it uh, didn't seem too hard to initially get started. You have to fill out all your forms and you pay your deposit and whatnot. What's but a deposit? It's 250 bucks. Oh, mm-hmm. it's not too bad. It's, it's not too bad. <laughs> and you need 75 signatures. So... I was like, you know, oh, okay, yeah, and then um, then you fill out all your paperwork. You get a financial agent and an auditor and stuff like that. And you, so you have to pay for them yourself, or uh, well, my of... my mom is a bookkeeper, so I got her to be my okay. financial agent. And uh, a friend of mine is a financial or is a auditor, so I, I talked to him, and he's like, oh yeah, for sure, I can, okay. I can sign off because I mean, as an independent, my campaign is going to be very small, or it has been so very small so far, um, so it won't be a huge amount of work by any means but right how how can you ha- can there be more than one independent running in a riding yeah as far you, as i can, okay. as far as i know there there's no loss against that and right it's your like it's one of the things in our constitution you have a right to run if you're over the age of 18 and you're a canadian citizen so do you know how many independents are running right now i believe it's 34 wow, it could okay. be up down a couple uh, i'm not 100 percent sure there uh, but that's throughout all of BC. Once right. again, I, I don't know if there's more than one in each riding. In some of the bigger ones, like in Vancouver or something, there might be a couple independents. But that's more than I would imagine. I didn't even know until a few podcasts ago that independents were really a thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew up in Alberta and then I came here, so I never really paid attention, which is why I'm doing this. But uh, yeah, the the independent. I, I kind of wish there was more independents. Uh, MLAs, so <laughs> because I think they would kind of even things out a little bit more. Um, uh, absolutely, yeah. Wow. So you've been in political science for one year, two, two years? Uh, for one now? year. One year now. One year okay. total. But I've been at Camosun for a couple years before that. Uh, right, right. Studying it's, different economics or psychology or business. And, you're studying political science, just not like not doing your homework and studying <laughs> that instead. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So I figured may as well just study what I'm studying and stick with that. So what's the b- response been like so far? Uh, really, I've got nothing but positive responses yeah. from people I've talked to, whether it be at debates, all candidates, meetings, or just emails from uh, anyone around our area. But people are very encouraged to see someone younger out in politics. And uh, they're really encouraged to see a younger face and a, a fresh perspective. And a lot of people are, once again, like you, just interested that independents are yeah. sometimes around or even a thing. So, so do you get that more than the young thing or the the independent versus the young? I, I couldn't you tell you. got a bit of a double pretty, whammy there. It's pretty even. Yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, two hitter there. But it's, I would say even, you know, uh, people are really interested in what an independent can actually do um, yeah. in terms of working in the legislature. And a great example, because a lot of people think, oh, it's just one person. How can right. you do anything? You look at the Green Party. They only have one MLA right now, Andrew yeah. Weaver. And he has made quite a difference in our legislature. So, I mean, one one person can make the difference. So,
So do, do are there more examples of what one MLA can do? Is it more um, in a provincial setting or would it be more in a community setting where they can make a difference? Well, I mean, absolutely. You can make the difference in the legislature like we've seen with Andrew Weaver. And, um, but it, uh, strongly from the community sp- standpoint of like the actual district, uh, I would say independents and people who are not tied to a large party can actually make a very big difference for their community. And that's because... Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really have a party whip by any means, right? Yeah. They, when they're in the legislature and they see a bill proposed to the floor, um, they're, they're given the choice of just voting whatever they believe is in the best favor of their area. They aren't necessarily going, oh, okay, got to follow the agenda of the NDP or the liberals or whatnot. Right. So, well, I feel like, uh, when I was talking to Chris Maxwell, Dr. Chris Maxwell for the Greens, um, he was saying that, that's kind of changing for them or it it sounded like his view of it was that they would be a little more flexible in their party. Is that, have you heard that at all? Yeah. I, uh, I've talked to Adam Olson, the green candidate in my district. And um, as far as I know, they don't actually have a party whip, meaning they don't push their members of legislature to vote one way. I mean, when you when you look at it, they only have one right now, and that's the leader of the party. So a, a whip wouldn't really have a position at all. So it could be something that maybe like it's idealistic now, but later down the road, it could change if there was more in. Yeah, I mean, know? that's something we're going to have to look for in this coming election. I'm from what I've seen, uh, the Greens might be getting a few more seats than they have now, and uh, it'll be interesting. I, I mean, I, I really hope that they continue their policy of uh, no whip and allowing their MLAs to really represent their districts. That would be amazing. But we, I mean, it sounds really good. <laughs> it sounds great. But I mean, from a party perspective, you, you get uh, it doesn't always look great when you have your members all voting in different ways on really, yeah. really important bills. And uh, sometimes, I mean, if you had the liberals or the NDP doing that on like a confidence vote, something that could right. fall our government, I mean, y- you have to have a whip. There's a place for them. Absolutely. Right, okay. I mean, we need them to maintain a strong government, but it's hmm. um, there, there's ups and downs to having them, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel for the communities, it's really well. It's kind of like the how city council works. When I that I found out that they're not based on political parties; it's more mm. of a popularity thing, right? And then they can, with having that mix in there, creates a better variety of what's going on and how they deal with things, right? Because of different views. Okay, one question I have is on this minority-majority government thing. Um, You were saying that earlier that you think it might be a minority government this time? Yeah, uh, the latest polls have suggested that we have a high likelihood of minority government, meaning that one party doesn't actually have over 50% of the seats. And this is because of the uh, growth of the Green Party. So okay. uh, what happens in minority governments, though, is the two main parties, um, they're going to have to try and gain support from other parties or independents to then form government. So let's say that the NDP uh, have one seat shy of forming government. Okay. So they would go to the Greens or Andrew Weaver and um, they'd say, hey, we want your support for our party and then we can form government. And so what happens in that situation is... Andrew Weaver now is in a situation where he can go, well, what are you going to do for the green policies? Like, uh, this this is what matters to me. 
So, or what to map to our party. So he would then be able to have the ability to look at that, the NDP and go, um, uh, like, I want you to change this and this and this. And the NDP would say, okay, so we're going to do that. And then you'll support us in government. And that would allow for them to form government because they have over 50% of the seats voting with them. And Andrew Weaver, as the Green Party leader, he would still have the ability to um, uh, still have influence, even though it's only one seat. So it's kind of like uh, like a soccer team that one player got hurt and they can't play without, they have to replace that player. Yeah. And so the other team's like, okay, like we'll lend you a player or a different team, not the ones playing. Yeah, let's say a different <laughs> team on the sidelines are like, well, what are you going to give us if we let you use our player for this game? Huh. So, and how does that affect what you said? So then he has a little bit of influence or, or that they kind of make a trade and then he's going to, the minority government, if it was NDP or whatever, then they would say, well, we'll look at some of this green stuff over here. Mm -hmm. So how does that affect things in the, in the legislature, like in the whole, yeah. Um, well, it, it of course affects it because uh, there's certain votes in the legislature called confidence votes. And if you lose okay. those ones, you can't form government anymore. Um, so that would be on budgetary votes. It's on the first vote of um, the session of parliament, which is called the, the throne speech. You need to have over 50% of the house to continue. And if you don't, then an election is called. Um, so it's just that they don't they don't have a big group, hence minority majority. Absolutely, yeah. So minority can be there's more opposition. Yeah, absolutely. So it, because that's where it's scary for them or something, right? Yeah, because in this situation, the NDP they have to appease uh, the Green Party enough that they're willing to vote for them on those really important votes. Um, the Green can vote any which way they want on other votes without the government failing. Uh, without an election being called, but the NDP are always going to have to be stepping or like walking on tiptoes or uh, thin ice because right. if they ever do anything that's really against what uh, the Greens want in this situation, then the Greens can vote against them on confidence votes. An election is called. Ooh, yeah. Oh, so they so throughout it all, they have to keep their promise to the Greens because they Absolutely. can be like, you, you didn't listen, you didn't pay attention here. Now, yeah. oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I mean it can go anyone any which way, right? So let's say let's put an independent in that uh, mix, and an mm. independent. Um, seeing as I don't really necessarily have a, a party agenda to push, I would say, well, what are you going to give funding for my district? Right. So I would uh, the the big parties, the NDP and Liberals, they would they would look and go, well, okay, so what do you want? Like we can give you funding for infrastructure or funding for this or that, and then I would I would go, well, this is what I want, and which party can um, uh, is willing to spend the most in that district would then get my support if they're willing to ch- change a few things. Like I, I wouldn't side with the liberals unless they changed campaign donations. Right. So how do you, do you think a minority is better than a majority, like for the people kind of thing? Like there's a li- there's going to be a little more give and take then because they're not yeah. absolute power kind of thing. I mean, there's ups and downs in a minority government. Yeah, you get uh, the small parties get to have a say and independents get to have a, a much larger say. 
And but then the the downside is not a lot always gets done. Oh, okay. Because everything is always had to like, oh, we have to get the support and we have to try and find the support here or from maybe even try and get some liberals to support us in this vote or whatever, mm-hmm. or some NDP to support the liberals on the vote. And it can sometimes take a lot longer to get something through and to be like made law. Um, in a majority government, you don't have the say of the smaller parties because uh, a large party can pass whatever they want. Right. I mean, well, within the law, but they can they can pass a lot of things that uh, in a minority government, the small parties wouldn't have been in agreement. So there's give and mm. take with both. Uh, there's pros so and cons. It might be good to have a minority for a little bit and then get back to getting things done. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, I definitely, <laughs> that's what a lot of people on uh, Vancouver Island, uh, I've, I've heard say, you know, they want, they want change. So. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's ultimately up to all of British Columbia to make that choice. Interesting. Um, okay, so let's talk about your uh, your views of what you'd want to do with your community or if you became MLA as an independent, how that would look different than the other people. Or let's just talk about yours first. Don't, you don't have to <laughs> include all what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, so specifically, how would I, I guess, choose to best represent my writing? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's always a really difficult question because how do you collectively take the voice of 50,000 people and represent it in one vote, right? Right. Um, one of the things I would be very interested to look into and try and set up is a website where people could uh, express their opinions on uh, upcoming um, uh, votes in the legislature. Okay. And if if I could get it enough popularity on it where my entire district is actually yeah, this is the thing I do. Oh, like every few days I just go on and go, oh, that's something I want. That's something I don't want. Then I can get a good idea of what my entire um, district actually wants and what doesn't want. That's a neat idea because right now it's like they basically have to either write you an email or visit like the MLA they'd have to visit or write an email to to express their opinion, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this would be just kind of like a something they could go through semi-regularly and just be like, check, 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 check. And then you'd have a percentage or something that would... Yeah, I mean that's the hope. It, it this is of course a kind of idea yeah. that I've had. <laughs> one of the one of the few of getting a good idea of what my of uh, what the constituents want, but also we could have it in app form, right? And that could be something mm. that a lot of young voters. Oh, I'm waiting at the bus stop or whatever. I got ten minutes. I'll look through what the uh, latest laws are, and they see oh, then a new post secondary education bill's come up. They go oh, of course I want more funding for that or whatnot, and then I can look and go well, this is kind of, oh, 60% want this, 40% don't. I should probably vote for it. That's interesting how, like, I, I think that's partially because you're younger. And, well, you're not young, young. You're, <laughs> well, you're younger than older people. <laughs> <laughs> Compare me but, to most politicians, yes. Yeah, yeah. But so you think that way, you know? Like, you think apps. You think of how people are connecting right now and what are the better best ways to do it. Like, you'd mentioned that you want to... uh get young people more involved in politics or mm-hmm. in their community or whatever. So what do you find the hurdles for that right now? Uh, well, when I talk to a lot of people, um, there is different mix levels of interest for our youth. Some are really engaged and they read the news every day and, and they really want to find ways to get involved. And others really just haven't reached a point in their life where they have been affected by it at all and they just don't mm-hmm. care, right? Uh, um, like you were saying earlier, like you you started this because you realized, oh, I'm 40 now. I better learn what to 
what to say and what to vote for, right? Time to grow up. Time to grow up. (laughs) Well, a a lot of people in their early 20s, even in their late 20s or 30s, say it's it's not reached a point yet where they go, I am in a stressful financial situation and the taxes are either burdening me or the services are really supporting me or whatever. And and they see that this is where uh, we need more funds or we don't need more funds. And um, when they get to that time where uh, they, they see that and they have a direct impact is a time where they start to get interested and start to get involved. So I guess one of the, the big challenges is how do we get them interested before they're negatively impacted at all? That's right. Yeah. And well, maybe that's why I started getting into it. I'm like, you know what? It's hard to live in this town. <laughs> like it's really yeah. expensive. It is. So maybe I've started feeling the squeeze and I'm like, is there a reason? And I start looking into it. That's one question I have though about the taxes. Mm-hmm. So I hear um, lowering taxes, right? And how the liberals say that they've lowered it more for the middle class. Um, then the Greens are saying that, you know, we don't want to lower it too much because taxes equals services, right? Like we still need to run things. And if you can have better services, and then there's the whole MSP thing with rolling. Yeah. That into taxes. So what's your view on the taxes? And you can throw the MSP stuff in there if you want. Is that too big a question? Yeah, I'll answer just how to solve taxes. Um, (laughs) uh, I I think that'll get you elected. (laughs) Yeah, if I I can have a perfect platform that solves zero taxes and 100% services, then I'm I'm sure I could get elected. But uh, no, of course, it's a balance, right? And we have to have a balance where we are still providing the services of um, healthcare and transportation and education and everything that we need to have our society keep going forward, but still have a level of taxes that doesn't burden those who are in low and middle income, right? Right. Um, so when we look at, let's say, MSP, which is one of the taxes that, of course, is a main focus in this election because it uh, affects people unevenly compared to their income. So right. someone who is being making 40000 a year and someone who's making three or 400000 a year, they can be actually paying similar amounts in MSP. So that's something that really needs to change because uh, we need to find a way that I mean, there are two clear ways. Either we eliminate it and we put it into income tax and we make charge more in the higher income taxes. Okay. Or we eliminate uh, the, we make it so it's now, uh, instead of uh, a flat tax, I'll say $1,000 no matter who you are kind of thing. And we put into a percent similar to the any other tax that we really have in this country. Mm-hmm. So we could be charging 2% flat tax for MSP or whatever the number would be. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Because because right now there's a I know there's a rebate for if you don't make a lot of money, but it's pretty low, right? Like you have it to is. be pretty str- like struggling. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would of course I would support just not even being concerned with the rebates and just changing MSP entirely, right? right. A rebate, in my opinion, is kind of a band aid for what the real problem is that okay. is just charging you upfront on unequal amounts. Uh, like a friend of mine, he was. Uh, he got a raise at work for a few bucks or whatever. And um, now he's making mid $20 an hour and he's making good money, but now he started getting charged MSP and he's like, Oh, there's that $700 a year starting yeah. to come off from what he was making earlier when he was working a minimum wage job and not really getting charged the same amount of MSP and getting a lot of it back in taxes. Right. So you, it's, it's not something that I uh, really look at the rebate as a solution because the rebate is still taking the money and then just, giving it to you later when people might need it now, right. or we just shouldn't be charging them at all. So. Right. 
Okay. Well, let's get back to the youth uh, thing. Yeah. I can't remember where we left off with it, but <laughs> but I was I was asking how how to connect with them or how to get them involved, and you're saying that they're they're not noticing it yet often. Do you know um, you were homeschooled? Yes, and so you might not not know directly what the education is like in schools for this. But have you noticed uh, when you talk to people your age or younger or around your age? If they have an understanding of things? I mean, or? different levels, of course, right? As I said earlier, you're going to have some people who are really interested and some who aren't. And I think it does start with our education in our high schools. And I think especially high schools, because this is the age where uh, they start to really pay attention to these things. You don't normally have middle or elementary school right. kids, of course, paying attention to provincial politics or any sort of it. Um, so... Uh, and it is, it is hard because you have to have a balance when you're teaching about politics in school to make it non-bias, but still right. um, it, uh, teaching the, the facts and what's important about each party and the pros and cons, because no party is completely wrong or completely right. Yeah. And um, even though some will try and get you to believe that, and as an independent, I mean, I, I can see the positives and negatives of uh, any party, right? Um, so that's something that has to be, of course, worked out in our public school system so we can get away where our kids are being informed, but not in a biased way at all. And I'm not 100% sure how to work that out. That's something that would have to be worked out with the uh, education system. I mean, they're the ones who know how to teach kids, right? So. Right. Do you, do you find that, uh, like the app idea, like that's a really good way to connect with them? Do you notice um, youth coming up to you in any of this campaign running? I mean, most of the all candidates debates or or meetings, they are normally from community associations where the uh, normal age is 40, 50, 60 or up. Right. So not as much. I mean, I definitely um, there there was one uh, debate at Stelly School uh, in my district and uh, a few younger people definitely come up to me like, oh, hey, that's so cool that you're running and you're only like four or five years older than me. Right. And it's something that definitely uh, I don't think a lot of youth think that they can do right well no I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even know that like people could and let alone you know in 2021 right yeah yeah for sure and it's just yeah i, I think in alberta once there's some guy running for i didn't i don't know what it was for because i wasn't paying attention but i was like wow there's a young guy going for politics that's odd <laughs> but yeah. um so you said before about independent you said it was a little late to join a party but mm-hmm. also that you weren't sure which party you would align with if yeah. you did. Um, if you had time, do you think you would have would want to be with a party? I mean, uh, maybe you don't want to answer this. No, hey, I'll, <laughs> until I'll after answer. the election. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, for sure I'll answer that. Um, I mean, I, currently I do have a lot of problems with each party. Um, yeah. I mean, there of course uh, I lean towards different policies. Like with, with the liberals, I'm. Uh, I would say I'm closer when we look at the environment. Not 100%. Um, there are some problems that I have, like Site C, I, I disagree with implementing it. And with uh, the Kinder Morgan as it stands, uh, I would implement different restrictions. But the the idea that we can have a pro-fossil fuel sector in our province, as well as growing a green and clean economy, is something that I do agree with the Liberals on um, and disagree with the uh, NDP and uh, Greens where... Um, their focus is really trying to take away from it and uh, 
really boost our our green sector more more so than our fossil fuels. Well, it almost seems a little. I don't like using the word naive, but like, like, is it possible just to just run away from industry? It, yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, we we all use plastics. We all drive. Car- well, most of us drive yeah. cars that uh, run on fossil fuels, and not just that. We have to look at the skill gap. If we start taking away jobs in one sector, the people that are working there don't really have the ability to just jump and start working on solar panels if they've been working on engines right. all their life. They don't. We need hmm. to have education for that. So it's not just in the job spectrum. It's not just making new jobs. It's kind of keeping people working as well. Because if you create yeah. new jobs in a totally different area, yeah, then it's just a swap. It, it can be a swap. And sometimes the people that are working in the older industry, I guess you could say, uh, they get left behind a lot of the time. So um, either we need to find a way to educate uh, or have funding for education that can transfer them to new jobs, right. which can be extremely expensive. And it takes years, right? I mean, if you're going to teach someone who's been a mechanic all their life to work on solar panels, they'd have to take a couple of years and learn that in school. So um, not just do you have people now not working and not being able to provide for their family or themselves. They uh, have to <laughs> spend two over. years. They start over. <laughs> and I mean, not everyone is able to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this would be your, one of the things in your campaign about the balancing environment and our economy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That sounds like a really tricky one though, because like I didn't really, cause, cause I don't read the paper. I don't have a TV. I don't watch, you know, I watch TV shows online and <laughs> as most of us do. <laughs> and now. I don't watch news online. Well, I'm starting <laughs> to watch some more things, but, but I didn't really know about all these issues so much like sightsee dam. I've just in the past two weeks, I've learned about that really. Mm-hmm. And on one side, they're like, that's, don't do it is you know it's going to make a mess of things it's costing so much money and on the other side i was hearing like we have to prepare for electric cars like we need electric power we have to think about this so i'm like i can see both sides like yeah i mean there's uh, with anything in politics there's positive and negatives right it's there, there's never a black and white answer uh, yeah. rarely there is um with site c dam uh, my biggest concerns are not actually the environmental causes uh, okay. a lot when i look at hydro in comparison to other even uh energy sources such as solar panels or fossil fuels you look at solar panels and you need batteries and batteries can actually be very um harmful to the environment the way they're created and disposed right. of and then you look at fossil fuels and the evidence is clear i mean yeah. about how they affect our environment but when we look at hydro the the largest negative effects are um the sediment buildup at the end of the dam and the uh, amount of land that we're actually covering in water to make a reservoir. And when I weigh those against the negative effects of other energy sources, I actually, it seems pretty reasonable and uh, very actually reversible if we ever want to stop that. If we ever want right. to take the dam out, the water will flood and uh, well, vegetation can grow back fairly quickly depending on the area. Yeah. Um, so when I look at Site C Dam, I, I, I don't see the environmental aspect as the largely concerning part it's the economic because it's going to cost 9.8 billion dollars is what it's proposed to check to cost uh, you know it might be a little <laughs> more right i mean with all these projects they can always be a 10 20 percent higher cost than what I we think, thought I, so. I think it's rarely under <laughs> it's yeah i mean with anything government it is rarely under yeah. what they said it would be um so we let's say for sake of uh, argument it's, it's 10 billion dollars that's a lot of money that 
as the current projections show, we're not going to need the power from Site C for British Columbians for another 20, 30 years. Okay. And uh, so it could be a little too early to take that leap kind of thing. Yeah, especially when we have such a growth in other sources of clean energy. Like like I was saying, solar panels, they have the negatives of batteries and uh, how we create them and how we dispose of them. But that's something that in the last 20 years has improved exponentially. Okay. Um, the, like the, the pricing of clean sources, wind, tidal, and solar have all become cheaper. They've become faster to, to use and more efficient. And I mean, let's see what they're like in another 20 years. We have no idea. We have hmm. no idea if our batteries are going to be 20 times better than they were now. Well, probably. Elon Musk is working on stuff. That's what I've heard. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he'll save the world. He'll he'll figure it out, I'm sure. Oh, my gosh, that guy. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's doing some stuff, for sure. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, we have these advancements that we're, we have no idea what it's going to be like in 20 years. So to build a dam now that we're not going to use for another 30 years is doesn't seem like a, a proper use of 10 billion taxpayer dollars in my opinion or just wait like a couple of years to just see what see. happens we're not going to use it we're exporting all the power to alberta and to the states for most of the time lower than cost so okay it's it's not going to turn a profit for british columbians and it's just going to rise hydro rates okay hmm very interesting um going back to the independent thing where does when it comes to the right and left kind of thing, where are you hovering ish or is that just, or is it being an independent? You can, it's more of a, you land between the right and left on issues and policies and stuff more so than just a general must be pretty great being independent. You just think whatever <laughs> the hell you want. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can, but then there comes issues when you want to just, just be told what to think, but you have to have your own opinion on them. Uh, when it comes to the political spectrum of right and left, I would say I'm a tad right of center. I'm okay. not. Um, I'm not so much that we need to start privatizing everything and and uh, regulate absolutely every form of free market and business because I think a lot of the time that's what pushes people and motivates people to work really hard in whatever sector they're in is the ability to really really be successful. Yeah. Um, and when we start to put a lot of regulations on it and, and the government itself starts to own it, um, it, it does tap it at a certain level and it kind of cuts it off. But uh, And then I'm not as far right, I would say, as the Liberal Party here in BC. Um, okay. I would say they're a bit farther right than I am just on certain spending. I, I do see like our public services as being extremely important, especially our education. I, I'm not a huge fan of the... So far, it seems 16-year battle with uh, the teachers um, we've oh, had yeah. in BC. I mean, mm. I don't know when you moved here from Alberta, but uh, it's well, let's in- just let's just say I moved here a couple months ago because even though I've been here for <laughs> I don't know close to 10 years or something, I okay. wasn't paying attention to anything. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's something that's been going on for a while, and although I'm of course not in favor of just raising wages of teachers by 20 30 40 50% i i i see that we with public service workers of any kind that we just kind of link it to inflation so it's 2% a year and it's just constant right right uh because i i think that can it's tied to what the standard of living costs are and it then we don't have uh, the the public service being paid more than uh the the private in every situation right because we have to have that balance of how much the people working outside of the public sector are paying their taxes to pay for the wages of others. Right. Well, and that's, so this whole daycare thing got me thinking about that today as well, yeah. because 
I don't know if I'm understanding, but like there's a daycare issue of people can't afford daycare with the money they're making. Um, so they want to lower, or I guess NDP is talking about this or something. $10 daycare. The, the $10, day, day, that's daycare. the NDP, yeah. So I'm guessing they're supplementing the daycares for the lack, the, 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 the gap. Yeah. Because they can't live on t- $10 for each well, kid, right? I so mean, then I'm like, well, how does that change? Any industry can start going like that. Like, it, I mean, <laughs> let's it, lower food costs. So then, you know, the government pays for half of our food costs. And then, I don't know. What are your I, thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I don't have, of course, the absolute answer. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I want answers. You want the solution to all of our problems. Uh, well, I would say that instead of, like you said, it, we could start supplementing food costs. And I mean, we have food banks and we, we right. give, uh, we help food, uh, we help with people who can't afford to buy food. And of course, there are different tax breaks and stuff for low income families. But I think the, the core of the problem in the, is poverty, right? We have right. a poverty rate here, like one in five children in BC are in poverty. Um, that is a huge number of people. Now, what and does that exactly mean? Child poverty, I hear this, but I, I don't have kids. I'm not around kids much, so I don't know what... <laughs> well, I mean, uh, in BC or in Canada, we have a poverty line. So it's the yeah. amount of income you have versus the amount of people depending on that income. Okay, so, so the child poverty is there's a bunch of kids that don't have enough money. Their parents don't have enough money to really take care of them well. Basically, yeah. Okay. So if you were to have... Uh, I, I'm not sure the exact number that we put the line at. I believe it's around uh, $18,000 for one person, I, I think. I don't quote me on those numbers. Not quoted. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it's X number of dollars for one person. And then it's a little bit more if you have a child. And then if you have three or four or five children, it, it adds more. So if you were to make a certain amount of money, like let's say you make $200,000, you could have 20 kids and still be above the poverty line. Or maybe not. I don't know how many kids you yeah, have. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, but that's basically how it works. So it means that there's, yeah, one in five children in BC, their parents uh, or parents, most single parents, uh, um, they're not making enough money to provide them with uh, either adequate shelter, food, uh, all the supplies for hmm. education. I And I think that kind of, that'll cause a whole bunch of other issues for those kids. <clears throat> I mean, growing up when you don't have enough money in our culture, mm-hmm. you know, like then there's the, you know, the, the getting picked on or feeling different than your friends and like, cause you can't have this, you don't have that. It just seems like a whole bunch of other social <laughs> issues that will come later in life for those one in five. Yeah, poverty tends Not- to negatively affect people quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, huh? Yeah, it's um. So that's so so we were talking about the daycare. Yes, and, the daycare. And the thing before the daycare, but it was about where you lie on the right left thing. You said you mm-hmm. kind of more close to the liberals on that. Was that what that was? Uh, well, not necessarily with the childcare. I. I don't know oh, okay. the answer to the $10 a day childcare is. It's an yeah. extremely large expense. And of course, the tax is then again going to have to come from somewhere, right? Right. And every time you tax one sector or one area, that sector or area shrinks because it's now being um, set back. So, I mean, you have to have those balances, right? Um, but of course, I would be absolutely supportive of looking into different ways to support um, children living in poverty, whether that's be through daycare or through subsidies, because... Although um, daycare can be very supportful for those who are going back to work, like with my family, my mom stayed home and she uh, homeschooled myself and my three siblings. So having... Wow. Yeah. (laughs) um, 
So if you were to have a $10 a day daycare, that wouldn't really support my family in any way or any family that's doing the same thing as mine's done, which a lot of people have a stay-at-home parent. But if it's in taxes, you'd be paying, they'd be paying for it. You'd still be paying for it. That doesn't seem quite. So, uh, of course, um, you have to (laughs) figure that out. Uh, I would support, rather than having a $10 a day daycare, I would rather have hired child subsidies where we pay per um, child. Like we have an early child tax credit here in BC. And it lasts until the age of six for a child. Okay. And uh, every other province, it actually lasts until the age of 18. Oh. And in uh, Ontario, it's twice as much as ours. And in Quebec, it's triple. Now, now this is where, like, if you have one kid, you get so much a month or something? Yes. Or a year? Uh, yeah, it is. It's, okay. And then and, it, and it has a limit. To and it, it's six here and 18 in other places? In, in most other provinces here in Canada. So, because it's six, they can leave home and take care of themselves. Absolutely, right. <laughs> I mean, that's when they're getting out there and in the workforce. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, I mean, that's when they're first starting to like get. In, I believe the grade one when you're six years old, right? So you look and you go, "What's really the use if someone is living in poverty, but they're only taken out of poverty because of the child tax credit?" I mean, what benefit is it to be out of poverty for six years and then for the next twelve years be in poverty, right? I mean, why would they say six if? It's wow. I mean, it's I about the funding, that. right? So, where are we getting the funding and where are we putting it? I would rather, instead of having $10 a day daycare, I would rather look into uh, raising our, our child tax credit so that all families can benefit, not just those that are in need of daycare. Because a lot of people don't need daycare, like my family who right. had a stay at home parent. A lot of people have a stay at home parent, where whether it's the mom or dad. So, that's a really interesting view or solution. I like that solution. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Okay, we solved daycare. <laughs> we'll we solved solve, daycare. <laughs> we solved daycare and child poverty. Yeah. <laughs> in the hour that we got here. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I have one question about platforms. Yeah. Go for it. Um, I was just going, I, I found out about all these, uh, I, I was looking at the NDP platform, the liberal platform and the green party platform. And actually, the other day, I, I saw a sign for a party of the Lib- Libertarians. Yeah, the Libertarian I like, I party. I didn't know that. <laughs> that they're a thing? Yeah, they're... I, I didn't know that. I don't know how big they are here in BC, but... Uh... Oh, I saw one sign. But anyway, I noticed something on the Liberals. That it's, there was They have a platform, and then they have a Vancouver Island platform. Yes. I haven't looked into them yet, but what are some of the differences with that? Do you know? Well, this is the first time any party has actually put out a specifically Vancouver Island platform. And I mean, basically, a platform is what you're going to do in the next four years, right, right, that you're in power. And it basically, it's lining out what they want to do in Vancouver Island, specifically. And it has funding in different areas and uh, stuff more specifically focused to Vancouver Island. And I mean, I would assume one of the reasons they're doing this is they're trying to gain a lot of support in Vancouver Island. The liberals don't. I don't know if you talk to many People around just uh, in daily yeah, life. No, they don't like them. No one really likes the liberals <laughs> here. Uh, not many. They, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they don't have any seats on the island here, or definitely not in the lower island. But um, it's just what they would have had in their main platform, right? Because their main platform can just have, well, we're going to put X million dollars here to funding for Vancouver Island. But, but here it's pointing they, it out. They, they saying, just really want to put emphasis that they like, are caring about Vancouver Island. Yeah, and mm. that's really the only difference. The NDP and the Greens. Both have platforms and they have funding for Vancouver Island. It's just not specifically said that it is for here. When mm-hmm. they when they say we're going to put more money into education or healthcare, well, we have education and healthcare here, so we're getting more money. But 
the liberals just they, they really just want to have a focus on it. Right. No. Well, and that's that's actually pretty smart because oh yeah, absolutely. Vancouver Island, we you know people here kind of think of themselves as different <laughs> and special and yeah, we're <laughs> islanders. So. <laughs> it, it's a different feel for sure. Yeah. So yeah. in this way, they're kind of saying, you know what, we know you're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like we, I don't think there's any negatives to it. It seems like a, a positive thing to specifically point out what are the positives of yeah. or what we're doing for this area. So in your debates and how many deba- debates have you? Uh, debates in all candidates meetings. I have been in eight so far. Eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how are they nerve wracking? You like it? What's your, <laughs> the first two are uh, pretty nerve wracking. I'll yeah. say that seeing as I've never really been in one and, um, but, uh, it, it's gotten easier, especially yeah. because the other three candidates, they're all very friendly and uh, very helpful, actually. Right. They've all offered, like, if you ever have any questions about running or campaign financing or anything like that, contact our teams, right? Because mm. they, they all have teams of managers and helpers and everything. And it's just me here and my mom helping me out with a few things. Has anyone offered to uh, for you to join the party after the election? They're like, you know, if, uh, you know, not like straightforward, of- but... <laughs> Um, definitely like, you know, they, they, they kind of push like, ah, you know, maybe you'll get picked up by a party one day or something like that. (laughs) Um, but, uh, not outright, not yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a great, great splash, great way to, to make a noise, but you know, man, I just really, I think it's so interesting that, that you're doing this and do you know the. You know, it's a statistics, so I don't know if you do, but I was talking to uh, Andrew about the percentages of people voting, and he said for municipal and provincial and federal, it's different and stuff like that. But do you know the ages? Like, where people, like, are people 18 and up, are they voting much? I I don't know the exact numbers. Like, I can't give you a percent on it, but I know that the voting uh, demographic of 18 to 25 is the lowest. It It is. And it's by far the lowest. It's significant. And yeah, so like municipal elections have a much lower voter turnout than provincial and federal. Um, I believe our last provincial election was 56%. It it does Mm -hmm. matter how you gauge that. It can be 56% of the uh, like registered voters or eligible voters. And there's a different way to do that. But in, um, yeah, municipalities can sometimes have a 30% voter turnout and yeah, it can be, it can be low. really low. I know in Sydney where I live, I think we had just around 30% and 70% of it was over 70 in age or over 65 or something, retired age. Right. So, uh, I mean, of course, that's the demographic that's living in Sydney, not just the fact that young people don't vote, but. It's, well, uh, and, and it's kind of a funny thing because really the people who should be voting are the younger people because absolutely. it's like, it's really going to start affecting them like right as they get going, you know, mm-hmm. in their independent life. And oh, man, you know, the, the world is run by those who show up and Ooh. show up on vote. <laughs> Good quote. Yeah, I don't know who said that, but I've heard it before. <laughs> we'll call it you. No, it wasn't no. you. <laughs> Definitely wasn't me. <laughs> Um, no, like one of the reasons why, uh, like parties are always really pandering to healthcare and those kind of things is because that's the elderly population that votes. And one of their big concerns is healthcare. Of course, if it was the young people who had the highest voter turnout, if 18 to 25 had a 95% voter turnout, we would absolutely have more funding going directly to post-secondary education. We'd have more funding going into affordable housing for specifically younger people 
and younger families starting off, we there would be more funding there. It, mm-hmm. That's without a doubt. I mean, uh, it's kind of a flaw of our system, but it's also just the way it works that those who vote are going to be the, the ones who get anything out of it, right? Right. So, I mean, I, that's one of the things. If I can encourage more youth to vote, if we have a higher voter turnout, then uh, parties are going to be looking going, oh man, we, we saw that the 18 to 25s had a jump in 10, 20 or whatever percent in voter turnout in this area. We need to offer them more services or whatever. Well, and then they'll cater their campaigns and stuff to them too. Yeah. Which seems like a bad circle. Like it's like they cater to the people that are going to pay attention, but they're not necessarily the ones that, that need to be catered to because they're already going to pay attention. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, it's kind of a vicious circle where, you know, if you get a lot of stuff, you pay attention and if you're paying attention, you're going to get a lot of stuff from our government. And it's it's how do you break that circle in? Well, as we were talking about earlier, it kind of happens when you start getting negatively affected personally. And I would love to see uh, a place where our democracy works, where we try and avoid people getting to that negative place where they're affected by government policy in a negative way. So one of those things is if we can get youth out there, if we can get not right. even just youth, really. It's thirty-year-olds too. Well, yeah, like really yeah, know, our, right? our how we're talking about youth is like more young adult. <laughs> yeah, it's young adult. I'm, I'm not expecting the fourteen-year-olds to get yeah. out there, but I mean, so that's one thing. I was reading an article once, or a book actually, and he was talking about. Um, they were talking about how it, it was a big numbers game in Canada, and how the baby boomers and all this stuff, like how people are going to be retiring, and then how they're going to be using up the resources a lot, you know? Mm. And so that's one thing I'm wondering about is all these older people, like the, the young, like the people in their twenties and thirties are really going to like, I'm worried that taxes is going to go up just to take care of this massive amount of people. That's going to be retiring. Yeah. You know? That's, and that's uh, why we should be paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, this is one of the reasons Canada is such a large immigration country, right? Right. Is because we have a aging population. It's no secret at all. I mean, we we can literally see it in life, right? And, yeah. Um, but that's why we we try and immigrate a lot of young families, and we we try and um, encourage having uh, more uh, jobs and and workers in our lower end of. Uh, uh, age demographics because every retiree that is using up services, we need a f- several number of people to be working to support them. Uh, not directly, of course, but through our government services. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely a, a fear of mine too that in 20 years when our population and all the baby boomers are all retired, yeah, it's going to be on our backs to be paying for uh, a lot of their services and I mean, of course, they've worked in our country for X number of years. They deserve our services, but it's how do we provide it without just going into more debt and more debt as a province? It's kind of like the dam. It's like, think ahead, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's like, but then, like, what's the solution now? (laughs) Well, you're good at those, so what's the... What's the the solution? Well, the solution solution? to all of it is, uh, (laughs) well, um, to our entire aging population. Um, I can't tell you that. Uh, I got a, I got a few small steps that we can take. And, uh, of course, it's just having a very strong, vital economy, uh, economy here yeah. that invites people to, to live here, right? Do you know what, like, what are some of the major um, components of th- that come into our economy? Like, 
some of the major payers or whatever? You know uh, I mean, like I mean, industry versus like we have uh, our, our sectors here. Uh, we have tourism, of course, on the island, and right. Lower Island is is huge. Um, but as well, we have uh, like our oil and gas sector. LNG is picking up, or if if you want to say that, <laughs> I'm not sure if it is yet. But uh, the global markets. They, and so they, for, they for LNG, for people who don't know what that is. That's, but that's a liquefied natural gas. Right, okay. So that's, um, it's another fossil fuel, but the global markets right now aren't in the prime conditions. So um, we'll see how that pans out in the next five to 10. Uh, but then we have, we export uh, normal gas and uh, uh, bitumen, which we export now through the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Um, but we also have forestry is, is huge in BC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we have other sectors like that. And so it seems like the big sectors are the things that like the green party wouldn't like or like the well, the, the nature people wouldn't like it's vancouver island <laughs> vancouver <laughs> island all of us hippies here yeah, yeah um i mean yes and no uh, you have to look at it and we have a manufacturing sector right so right. uh a number of these products such as lumber or oil and gas they're going to be refined in a province not all of it of course uh Currently, it's not all of it, but then we refine it, which of course produces a lot of jobs and, uh, and revenue. And then we export those refined products, which, um, in my opinion, is a lot better of a way to increase our economy because um, then we are refining our goods before we send them out. We get the jobs instead of other countries. Right. Um, but talking about when we have the greens of the NDP, you were saying uh, to the nature-loving people. Uh, I mean, our, our sectors are. Economy isn't completely based on the environment, but I mean, you look around and BC is, yeah, it is massive proportion of our economy is based on our environment. So um, not that I want to say that the Greens would completely cut out any of that because I don't think they would. Right. But they're they're just looking for ways to really step away from it. They, they and, don't want to jump into things yeah, too I mean, quickly. No, and I don't think they, in many situations, are supporting the growth of new fossil fuel uh, right. projects. They're supporting the uh, the growth of green energy, which of course I want to support as well, but you need something to kickstart it off and you don't want to be uh, hindering an already large sector that we have that employs a lot of people and brings a lot of revenue into our province um, to do that. It's complicated. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's jump over to donations now. I don't think we talked about that yet. No, we haven't. We we talked about it before we got on the, quote, air or SD card. But uh, (laughs) that's a new version. So there's this big thing in this this election about donations and the Liberals taking all this money. And I've heard that, well, we know what they're taking because they tell us. Yeah. And the NDP actually are taking a lot, which I found interesting. I saw this this uh, little video with John Horgan on, and he was, I don't know, in session somewhere or something mm-hmm. or other. And he was raving about how, you know, this has to stop. This has to stop. But then I realized, well, they take donations. Yeah. But they say that, you know, we're going to stop it once we get in. It's, <laughs> I mean... It's, the, it's a complicated issue, but uh, as all of them are. But the the NDP would, I guess, would like you to believe that it's 
a bit of a gray issue whether you take donations now so that you can change them in the future. I mean, the line that they always have is, we'll play by the rules and then we'll change the rules. And in my opinion, if you believe that the rules are broken, don't play by those rules. Play by what is ethically proper. And I don't believe being influenced by large unions or corporations by donations is proper and ethical. So when we look at it, yeah, the liberals have been in power for 16 years. And at any point of a majority government, they could have easily changed it. It's, yeah. uh, it's a bill that gets entered into our legislature and just about everyone would have voted yes if the liberals had said yes. The NDP would have done it and any Greens or independents that are there most likely would have as well. But, and then, so of course I don't agree with the liberals on that standpoint, but with, with the NDP, they, they're taking large donations. Um, and I, I want to say that one of the only reasons they really want to cut out uh, corporate and union donations is that the amount of donations the liberals get from corporations outweighs the amount of donations that the unions give to the NDP. Mm. Um, so, I don't even know if it's an ethical issue for them. It's just a, a fact that if we can outlaw it all, then we'll be at a better stance than the liberals are. So, hmm. Sounds a little... Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really hope that all the NDP MLAs uh, deeply are um, concerned about it and have ethical issues, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. I right. Mean, I, I think it could just be another playing politics. I mean, Right. So, okay, so... When it comes to looking at the parties for an election, um, I learned that people vote in different ways. We've, you know, people vote for the parties and who would be the premier, and people vote for issues and people vote for their local, um, who would be their local MLA, wherever you feel is the most important, right? Um, it's, the funny thing is, is the more I learn, the more I, I'm looking at parties now instead of the. but what i mean you know everyone has to make this choice on their own but what do you think do you think that people should look more at being independent and how an impact that independence can make do you think that people should look more closely at communities as as a as a reason you know no i I know what you're saying and i mean like there's a lot of talk about strategic voting in, a, in yeah. this election and, and how you should vote and why you should vote. And to be entirely honest, you should vote whichever way you want to vote. It's right. it's, it's that's your vote. Point. Yeah. Yeah, that's the entire point of democracy. You don't listen to me and tell you how you should vote. Um, you should vote the way that you you believe is uh, going to work the best for your interest. If you want uh, an independent candidate who will represent you and not have anything to do with a party then vote independent. But if, if you are really concerned and all you want, the number one thing you want is to have a new government in this province, then you should probably vote either Green or NDP because right. if that's your number one, everyone has different number ones and different priorities. So, so in a sense, the the thing you have to look at yourself is what is your biggest issue? Like yeah. What's the thing that's bugging you or making life difficult or that you want changed? Absolutely. I mean, not everyone uh, has takes a month off of work like me and plans out a complete platform yeah. <laughs> and uh, figures out their opinion on every issue. Normally there's two or three issues that are of utmost importance to them. And yeah. I would say to most people, yeah, look at those and find out who represents those the best for you. And then, I mean, uh, of, of course my 
greatest piece of advice is to just never stop researching about it because the more you learn and the more uh, direct and informed vote you're going to have. Um, but yeah, uh, when it comes to strategic voting, I, I've heard a lot of different top uh, opinions on it. Some people are just, they don't like the idea of strategic yeah. voting. You should vote directly for who you want. And I mean, I, that that sounds great. I mean, that's what I would do in an in election is I'm going to vote for who I believe represents me the best, not necessarily who will even win. But if you are specifically wanting your vote to go to someone who um, will be in government or will have a chance of taking down the uh, current government, then it, it's your vote. And I think that should be the bottom line whenever we look at strategic voting of any kind. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I noticed on the, on the NDP. Um, I, I saw a video, uh, someone put a video out, like kind of talking about how it was, it seemed basically that they were trying to convince people to vote for the NDP only to get the liberals out. And there was one spot in it and they said, the Greens have a zero chance, an absolute zero chance. There's no possibility. And I was like, well, so did Trump. <laughs> and so did the <laughs> like, NDP in Alberta. Like the, 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 the thing that changes the zero chance is if everyone votes for him. <laughs> yeah. Like it's really not zero. No, I mean, and uh, also you, you have a lot of people that aren't voting for this election. They're voting for next election. Mm. Right. Because I mean, yeah. let's say, that, OK, yeah, the Greens, the chances are slim that they're going to form government this time around. But let's say they get 10 seats instead of the one they have now. Well, then next election, of course, there's a chance. Right. Right. They're yeah. a strong third party. Um, so if if someone really wants the Greens to form government and they're looking in the future and they're looking eight years instead of four years, hmm. um, then, yeah, they they can absolutely have a chance at forming government. Just. I mean, it, it is a slim chance now. I'm I'm not going to say there's zero chance. They have enough people yeah. running in enough uh, districts that if they all won, they would form government. It would be a biggest upset in as far as I'm concerned in any political landscape ever. But um, no, I don't agree with the idea that the only way to stop Christy Clark, or if that's your goal, um, is to vote NDP because as a green or as a libertarian, as you said earlier, or any of the small parties, uh, let's say like the Vancouver Island party is. Oh yeah. I heard about them too. What, yeah. They, um, uh, I don't know a lot about them. <laughs> they kind of just sprang up, but they're, they're about independence for Vancouver Island from the rest of BC. Oh, yeah. maybe you should start your own party. Forget <laughs> joining one. Yeah. Forget joining. I'll just start my own. Um, but anyways, if you put your support behind one of the smaller parties, they, can put their support behind a bigger party, whether that's NDP or Liberal. Right. So if, let's say, my district of Sanish North and the Islands, it's a very close race between the Liberal NDP and Green. So and one of the things the NDP candidate in my area has said is, he said, as John Horgan does, the only way to stop Christy Clark is to vote uh, NDP. But in that area, if you voted Green over NDP and the Green won, there's, there's a chance that the Green would have sided with the uh, NDP and put their support there. I mean, there's always a chance. So hmm. um, it's, it's not really a wasted vote. And I, I wouldn't yeah, say I, it I is. Didn't, I didn't like that view. I should really try and get an NDP person on here because... Yeah, you, they, need, you they, need the whole spectrum. They, they need to t <laughs> confirm some things because right now I'm not... I'm kind of... <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, that's one thing. So, So going back to like that video I saw, it seems like... What do you think of the bashing? Have you seen a lot of like bashing instead of just talking 
in these uh, debates and stuff or just being around things? I mean, you said they're very nice to you. Yeah. In, uh, in our debates, um, it's, it's rarely bashing. I would say, of course, we're uh, critiquing each other's policies and each other's party's stances. But um, I, I wouldn't say it ever gets personal, and I don't think it ever has in our small debates. But I mean, we look at the large debate we had um, between John Horgan, Andrew Weaver, and Christy Clark. And I would say there is a fair bit of personal bashing there. And there is definitely a bit more of um, anger towards other candidates and more finger pointing and stuff like that. But is it getting a little like the States? I, that, that stuff sickens me. Just, yeah. Just like, let's just talk. It, I know it's <laughs> uh, for me, politics. And I mean, maybe it's my young idealistic view, but it, it should be about uh, what you can do better for the province, not what other people have done negatively for the province. Right. And I mean, we see it in the um, radio commercials. I don't know if you've heard the liberals, they have a bunch and it's saying, remember what the NDP did in the 90s. And all they're talking about is what the NDP did wrong. And the NDP are always talking about what the liberals have done wrong. And right. And uh, the green are kind of hitting it both. And uh, it's, it's not really something that I, I view as a healthy political system. We should have a political system where everyone's saying, well, actually, I think this is going to work better rather than this is what isn't going to work. Yeah, because it, it, yeah, it should be like what what we're going to do. These are the issues this is what we're going to do. And mm. and then people can counter that. And that's when you talk about it and you see the differences. Right. Um, but yeah, just the bashing. Remember this. Remember that. It's it's it seems childish. <laughs> yeah, it it does in many cases remind me of the states, and uh, I I don't want to live in a province that necessarily reminds me of the political arena of um, the last American election. To be entirely honest, yeah, for sure, <laughs> it wasn't uh, in my opinion a, a nice election. It's, um, it's getting to be a show down there. It's oh, their elections last two years, and it, it just goes on forever, right? Yeah, um, we have a like in BC, our elections twenty eight days. Yeah, it's. it's very quick it's four weeks where yeah. uh, talk we, about cam- campaign money or whatever for the state that'd be oh man that's <laughs> that's an entirely another topic to, um <laughs> another day you mentioned before that <clears throat> you had to come up with a whole platform and and choose your views on every issue yeah so that must have changed a lot of how you think you're like how's your brain now and your emotional state compared to before that? Well, I mean, I'll say it was a work in progress and it still is. I mean, I don't have every policy ever lined out for all of British Columbia because, um, well, that's something that parties spend years doing and multiple people. But um, one of the things that I I would say has changed me a lot is uh, with all these different policies and all the different ideas, it has given me definitely a better view on what we need in BC. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we look at housing. It's one of the biggest affordability issues in BC right now. And we look at how can we solve that. And then one of the, like before the election, I was, my whole idea was, oh, we'll just like put a, instead of the 30% or sorry, I think it's 15% right now, foreign buyers tax, let's just make it a hundred percent. And then we'll, we'll get so much more money for a province, you know? And that was my, uh, a little bit of my idea there, but then I look into it more and you find out one of the reasons we don't want to just completely raise the foreign buyers tax to massive amounts, although I am in support of raising it uh, partially, um, is because people's houses are their investment for their retirement, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, and like my dad has told me, 
a lot of times is he loves the fact that the housing market is booming because it's uh, like my parents' house is quadrupled in price in the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And, and that can be something he can sell, downsize and retire on. Um, so it's, it's really opened my eyes to understanding that we, we have to have more balance and it, it has to be more about, um, not choosing one way or the highway, but actually just finding the middle ground there because every issue, uh, is going to have positive and negatives on either side. And, um, I would say that's one of the big things that has changed through looking into all these issues. It's, it's rarely just a, we can't do any of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. The housing issue is pretty, pretty crazy. Like, like I can see that point that you're making with your dad and stuff, but like renters, oh, it's, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> it's, and that's probably partially the reason for the child poverty rate here. Yeah, right? it absolutely like, can. Rent is one of the biggest expenses for a lot of people. And then in Victoria, like finding a place period is crazy now. Yeah. So what, what were some of the things that you focused on in your platform? Like if you had like a couple minutes here to shut out your platform. So I, I guess I could narrow it down to three main uh, issues. That would be one, the campaign donations in our province. I think it's absolutely ridiculous the way um, we're handling it right now. I think it really hurts our democracy. Um, second, I would say the voting age. This is something that was brought up by the Greens and there have been mixed support from the NDP and Liberal, uh, but from different MLAs. But uh, I support lowering our voting age to the age of 16 in BC. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is in Canada, we we allow 16-year-olds to join our military. And 16-year-olds can serve in that capacity. And yet, uh, every 16-year-old in BC, they don't have the right to vote. And I think that's a little... It sounds yeah. a little, yeah. So confusing. And yes, if you are one of the 16-year-olds who is serving in the military in a full-time capacity, you are actually given the right to vote. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, which, um, which is definitely great, good. But I think it, it deals with um, the, the question, what level of responsibility do we give to a 16-year-old, right? Right. Because we, we let them make the choice to join the military, and, but we don't let them make the choice to vote. And I, I think it needs to have that uh, inconsistency solved. And I, and I would say we just need to lower the voting age to 16. I didn't know that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And I think, yeah. too, like once you can do something, that's when you start thinking about it, right? Absolutely. So if you start, if you can vote at 18 and so then four years later, you might start thinking about voting. So, mm -hmm. so if we can lower it and get them. And not and not just that, we... Um, the, the, if we start at 16, then those who are still in high school, which most 16-year-olds are, hopefully, um, then that's an area in their life or time in their life where it's all about learning. And it's all mm. about personal growth rather than when you're 18. And if you don't go off to post-secondary and you're working, most people don't spend a lot of time talking about academics or learning about a lot of that unless they're very in-depth about the news or whatever. And so if we can get them voting at the age of 16, or at least interested in it, then they're in the environment where they can ask questions of their social studies teacher or their law teacher or, or whatever uh, in high school. And if, if we can spark that interest at that age in that environment, I think it, it'll grow a lot faster than if we just allow them to start voting at 18 when a lot of them are in the workforce and they don't have maybe not time to look into it. And well, it's hard to look into. That's why I'm doing this. Cause I was <laughs> like, I'd look into it and everything I'd look at was already over my head. So they're talking about something that I don't understand the basis of. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I need some 
basics here. So yeah, once if you're in school still and you have people to go to to talk to and ask questions about, that's a that's a great idea. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't really see any negatives of it. Um, I, I've had people, a, a couple of people, ask me like, "Well, I mean, don't you think a lot of sixteen-year-olds are gonna just oh, well, let's just go vote for the fun of it, and they don't care who they vote for?" And I mean, my answer to most of that is, "Well, probably not." Eighteen-year-olds <laughs> don't even say, "Oh, let's just go vote for the fun of it." I mean, if they did, I, that'd be great. <laughs> but but in reality, though, how many people who are older are still? They're not voting for the fun of it, but they're voting, and they don't really know who to vote for. Like they're just a like, I, people, I better yeah. vote for something. Yeah, and they go, you know? oh, well, you know, this is what my parents or friends or whoever yeah. has told me. So, I mean, a, a lot of people are like that. And I, and I think if we put that as a criteria for who should be allowed to vote, we're going to be limiting a lot more people, which isn't what I want at all. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Well, that's a great, okay, that's a good one. I didn't know that that was out there. And the Greens are... The Greens uh, have put out support for it. I don't believe it's in their platform, I haven't seen it on their website, but there have been times where they uh, have said this is something they want to do. And um, there, there has been one liberal M- MLA that I've heard of who uh, is in support of it and um, different mixed level of support, but it's never been something that's brought to the floor hmm. uh, as far as I know. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. Okay. And so what, and the other ones on your platform, the other focuses? Uh, yeah. I mean, we touched on earlier, the balance between our environment and our economy is something right. that uh, as anyone running in BC, I think you have to be very, um, very strongly opinionated on that because it's something that matters a lot. So I'll say for those three, uh, yeah, those would be the core principles of my campaign. All right. Um, What about, what do you think about the voting system? So, yeah. (laughs) Cause I, you know, I've learned about the voting system now, the first past the post, and that sounds pretty wonky. And Mm -hmm. uh, then I found out we had a reform thing about it years ago and then I was talking to uh, Dr. Chris and, and with the Greens, and he was talking about how they're for proportional representation, and they would put that into place. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, when it comes to electoral reform, uh, personally, I do support proportional representation. I think it has a lot of positives to it. Every vote counts and whatnot, but... I mean, every system has its downfall. We have to find a form of proportional representation that still allows for local representation. Because mm-hmm. if it's all about parties and it's all about how much vote you got across British Columbia, what ties that person to their district? And as an independent, of course, that's a really concerning thing. Um, I believe there is ways we can work that out through a proportional system. So I am in support of it. But uh, this is where I disagree with the Green Party when it comes to electoral reform. What they have said is uh, a vote for the Greens is a vote for electoral reform, meaning if they would be in a position to do so, they would pass it in the legislature. Right. And when it comes to uh, changing the way that politicians are elected, I think that's something that has to be given to as a question in a form of a referendum to the province. Right. Um, well, it sounded like what they were thinking from what Chris said is that they would put it into play, but then they would ask the people how they want it done. So it was like, it was like, we're going to do this mm-hmm. period, but now let's figure out how. Yeah. Right. And he was saying the problem with a referendum is that once you say that's going to happen, then you get all these people who can come and make ads and everything of why are they changing this? Blah, blah, blah. There's nothing wrong with 
But that's how democracy works. I suppose so. And uh, just because I think proportional system is a is a good system doesn't mean every British Columbian does. And after or before a referendum, if there's advertising for information on both sides, which of course there will be, um, we're we're going to reach a time where people make that choice. And I don't think it should ever be a politician's right to go. Well, we know what's best. I mean. Even if it's just like the change, like we know there has to be change, even that. Like. If over 50% of British Columbians are saying no, then, and in a form of a referendum, especially, I mean, yeah. I think that has to be uh, respected. Yeah. Even, 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 even though if I we're don't. ignorant, <laughs> like, because with that referendum, I'm, I was like, I must have done it, but I don't remember <laughs> it. And I probably was just like, oh, the government wants to change something. I don't trust them. So no, let's not change it. Yeah. Well, so it's like education is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, it boils down to the question of what's more important. Do we do what the people who have spent a large portion of their life studying politics are thinking is right? Or do we listen to the people? And I think it's a slippery slope if we start saying, well, those who have been in power for a long time, we'll just let them make all the decisions. There needs to be a level of accountability. And if we allow people who are in power to change how they stay in power without mm-hmm. having a, a referendum on it. I, I just don't want to see that become a, a normal thing in our province because then other changes will be made and other changes will be made. And we could get to a point where our system is com- completely rigged, not saying a, a proportional system in any way leads to that. Right. But, but just not having the voice of the people directly choosing how, uh, the representatives are being elected. That's I, a good point. And, and I think that's kind of how, like, I've always thought of like, oh, the government's there, they're doing their thing. And so I don't have to worry about it. Right. But if there were more, if we were asked more things and we had to pay attention more, like, oh, there's another thing. I'm supposed to, oh, there's another thing I got to have an opinion on. There's something else I got to look into instead of just like us realizing, oh, I have a problem now. Mm-hmm. But if if the government was talking to us more, instead of just waiting for us to talk to them, and and I know it's not really like we don't want a referendum on everything, but no, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's a good point of of like engaging with us and making sure that we're part of it. Hmm. I, I there's absolutely times where uh, most of the votes in the legislature, uh, well, the mass majority of them, they don't go through by referendum. They go through by your representative. You, there is a mass amount of trust that you have to put in your representative when you vote for them because they have the, the choice to vote just about any which way they want. But I don't think um, people know that they're doing that. Like, I don't think no. they're, they're, they know that they're voting on stuff all the time and bills and all this. And I think your, your uh, website app idea is a mm-hmm. great idea. I mean, you I, should start that regardless. <laughs> you just, well, I'll, I'll look into it. My brother's <laughs> taking computer science at UVic, so maybe I'll try and get him to start it up. Yeah. He, he's made a few apps before, so. Um, yeah, but I mean, of course, as you said earlier, that there's a certain level of ignorance in the um, general population. And, but even with that being said, like, an ignorant democracy, I think, is better than a uh, well-informed dictatorship. That's true. That's true. Because once we wake up, we can have a part in it. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, um, let's start wrapping up here. What okay. are your? What do you see yourself doing after this election? I mean, not to say that you're <laughs> not gonna. I I, I love you don't that think you're I'm doing. Win? No, no, no. I'm, I'm calling back something you said. <laughs> 
You said there's a tight race between the Greens NDP and the Liberals. It is, yes. But I like that you're in the mix kind of freaking them out, hopefully. A hopefully, little bit. Hopefully yeah, little. giving them some good ideas. And Yeah. Um, so what's what's your kind of plan? Like you're in political science now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So let's let's put ourselves in a metaphorical situation where I don't win the coming election. I mean, uh, I would go back to school in UVic uh, in September and uh, finish out my political science degree. And something I am looking into is next year, there's the municipal elections coming up. Right. And uh, running for Sydney Council is something I'm absolutely nice. interested in doing. Um, just because I can't represent the entire district of Sandwich North and the islands doesn't mean I can't represent Sydney on a municipal level. Um, so, yeah, uh, that is the, I guess, one or two year plan here. Um, but, yeah, I, I think something that is, it's been absolutely great running in this election because... Um, not just for my personal experience that I've gained in this and all the, the knowledge and the experience it's been, that's been amazing. Um, but as well, I've seen a change in how the candidates talk at our debates and meetings in the first nice. few as an independent, uh, one of my main focuses is talking about representation, talking about what, uh, what I want to see here done here and, um, how can we help people here? Not just about all BC. And that's something I've absolutely seen a growth in, uh, nearing the end of our last few debates is people uh, the other candidates the liberal ndp and green they've all talked about representation a lot more than they have before and i think just making that change in um their priority uh, of what they need to talk about is uh it's been a success already oh i think your your part in it all is great i mean it's it's exposing so many different things you know like independent your age um and getting other people uh young adults involved and everything like that and from a massively different perspective than I'm sure that they're used to. Right. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. you know, people get stuck in their ways. So throwing new views out and, you know, like if you, if you were like, if you walked into a debate and you were just watching it and then you went to talk to them and they were like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I hear you. Okay. But because you're <laughs> in the debate, they have to listen. Yeah. And I think that's huge. It makes a huge difference. Well, that's what I hope for. Yeah. Do you get tired of uh, <clears throat> people saying things like that? Like, what are you going to do after this election's done? And, you know, you didn't. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> you're like, God damn it. I could win, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I entered like this the race. Green party. It's like, we could win. Just people it's, have to vote. That's the only. Yeah, I mean, that's there's, there's nothing stopping uh, the, from me from being elected except for the fact that there people, isn't. Uh, I just need people to vote for me. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't get really sick of it. I, I completely understand skepticism on the level of uh, or the chances I have of winning this election. I I went into it understanding that that wasn't. Uh, although it is my end goal to be an elected right. representative. Uh, the, the short-term goal of running in this election was to encourage youth. It was to bring up the really topic of representation. And I, I think I've done a good job of that so far. And uh, I hope I do an even better job in the next coming week here. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great way to go into it and way to look at it. And I think you have done. And yeah, we've got a week left. Well, it won't be a week by the time I get this out, but uh, <laughs> it will be before the election. Yeah. So hopefully <clears throat> some people can hear this and get a good understanding of what you're about and see that that we can all make a difference. And heck, we can all run for anything. 
Oh, I <laughs> it's... I would be ecstatic if uh, next time in the election we have a hundred independents running rather than the thirty-ish we have now. Uh, I think that would be a great change. I think it does that. Do you find that it would shake things up and make the parties be more accountable to certain things instead Absolutely, of them just talking in their circles? Absolutely, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think having uh, uh, independents gaining a support shows that what the people want and it shows that they want representation of their home rather than um, parties working in the best interest of whether it be the whole province which of course is a positive or the negative of working the best interests of those donating to them right wow all right well uh thank you jordan for coming and chatting with me today thank you very much for having me and i hope that the campaign goes well for the next few days and uh yeah good luck All people have to do is vote. All they got to do is vote. Well, thanks for listening to this episode with Jordan Templeman. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new and useful once again, just like I did. I think he had a few really great ideas and views, and I encourage everyone not to shy away from supporting an inspired 21-year-old willing to shake things up in this province. So please drop by the website at www.governthis.ca and Facebook, facebook.com forward slash governthis, and let me know what you think. Also, I'd love to hear some questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes as well. A donations link is on its way. I hope to get that up after putting this episode out, uh, so please take a, keep an eye out for that. I'm really enjoying doing this podcast. Uh, I'm learning a ton, and it's really wonderful, and I hope it's helping out other people as well. But it does take a lot of time, and it does cost me money. So any help would be really, really appreciated. Uh, It would help me free up more time, which would lead to more episodes, different types of episodes, and more resources on the website. There's so much more to learn in this topic, and I'm excited to dive in and share it with you guys as I learn it. So you can give us a shout out on Twitter at WeGovernThis and shoot us an email at we at governthis.ca. So if you like what you heard and you think it's important, please share this with as many people as you can and hopefully we can all become a little more aware and involved. So until next time, stay curious.